Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm your producer, Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Recently, Rob completed a teaching series entitled Save, Sing, and Share the Hymns. This course will teach you how the book of Psalms was arranged and motivate you to create a personal hymn book inside your mind. You'll also journey alongside a young music minister as Rob guides him through 60 classic hymns we should never lose. This unique course includes a downloadable guide to the book of Psalms, live music samples of select hymns, and a bonus interview with worship professor Vernon Whaley. For a limited time, we're offering this nine-session online course at a 50% discount. Visit robertjmorgan.com and click on the Courses link to find and enroll in this self-paced study using any computer or mobile device. And now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan, as he continues his series through the Book of Acts, preaching this week from the pulpit of his home church, the Donaldson Fellowship in Nashville, Tennessee. This is Thanksgiving weekend, and we're going into the holidays, so it'll be maybe a good time for an experiment. Just try this. You can take a couple of evenings this week, and on one night, before you go to bed, make a little list mentally or on a notepad of three or four things that went really wrong with your day, burdens or problems or pressures or aggravations and see how you sleep that night as you go to sleep thinking about your burdens. The next night, do the opposite. Just make a little list of three or four things during the day that you can think of to be thankful for blessings. And then see how you sleep with that. And through that exercise, maybe it will teach us a little bit about the power of gratitude and the power of generosity. And that's what our series of sermons really has been on for these three weeks, living on purpose and how God wants us to be generous with our time and with our talents and with our treasures. Well, generosity and gratitude is the theme of the passage that I want us to read. And I'd like to ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts the Acts of the Apostles in chapter number four. I'm going to read a longer passage than I normally would, but the Bible tells us to give ourselves to the public reading of the Word, and this is a very unusual passage. So let's look at it together. It's really shocking, but it begins with the book of Acts. This is the fifth book of the New Testament. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Jesus goes to heaven, And in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes down and forms the church. And this enthusiasm fills the church chapter after chapter. And now we come to chapter 4 and verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the cells and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph 
a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the property for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the, mem of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The apostles performed many other signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. So here we have this unusual set of circumstances, and it is all within the context of the great enthusiasm that came into the early church when the Holy Spirit came down with a rush of mighty wind and with the sound of a roaring hurricane and with a uh, phenomena of fire and, and the miracle of tongues and great enthusiasm broke out. And now we see that it also is touching the way that they give. And as I've read this passage, I think there are three principles that I just want to give to you that are very simple. Let's begin again at verse 32. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. And notice this, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. Nobody claimed that any of their possessions was their own. No one any longer felt that they owned anything. What had happened? Just weeks before, they thought, I own this house, I own this apartment, I own this clothes, the, 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 this, this camel, this donkey, I, I own these vessels, I own these things, but now, Suddenly, they don't feel like any of it is their own. They did not feel that anything they owned was really their own. Well, whose was it? It wasn't everybody else's just to come in and take. They now realized that everything they had belonged to Jesus. 
He had redeemed them and bought them with his blood. And this is a very distinct uh, phrase here. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. They said, now everything I have belongs to the Lord. And that really is a great transformation in our thinking that comes about as we receive Christ as our Savior. He not only saves us on the inside and purchases us in terms of our heart and our eternal life and our emotions and our psychological well-being, He becomes the Lord of everything. And when we come to Him, we just turn things over to Him. He became rich. He was rich, but through His poverty, He made us rich. And yet in that richness, everything is His. Now, this changes. This is the basis of stewardship. When we talk about Christian stewardship, we mean that the house that I live in no longer belongs to me. My rug, my furniture, my car, it is not truly mine because now I belong to Jesus, and He owns everything. It is mine to use with discretion in a holy way, but it doesn't really belong to me. It all belongs to Him. This is a little illustration that may be inadequate, but just bear with me. There was a show many years ago on television called Magnum P.I., and there's a, you know, newer version of it as well. And the thesis of the story, the plot line, is that there is a famous writer, a novelist, sold millions and millions and millions of copies of thrillers, and has become very wealthy. His name is Robin Masters, and his novels, the hero of the novels, are based upon his buddy in the Navy SEALs, this guy Magnum. And so now, with all of that money, Masters bought a fabulous estate in Hawaii on the island of Oahu, and it's got a huge mansion and many manicured grounds and a swimming pool and a beach and, and a, a garage full of Ferraris and everything else. And you never see him, the writer, Masters. He never shows up, but Magnum lives there. He has the guest house. He can go anywhere he wants to. He swims in the pool. He goes to the beach. He drives the Ferraris. Sometimes he wrecks them. But he is living there, though he doesn't own anything. But it's his to use and to be a steward over. Now, that's, you know, not the best illustration I've ever come up with, but that's sort of the way that I feel about this world. God has given us a marvelous planet here, a little blue marble in space, and the Bible says it is His. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The book of Haggai says the gold is mine, says the Lord, and the silver is mine. Everything belongs to Him. None of us, we may use it for a little while, but we come into the world naked, we leave naked, we come in poor, we leave poor. Everything belongs to God. And when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, then especially Everything belongs to Him because we give Him all that we have, and we become His stewards. And it's on that basis, then, that we become generous. It says, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And it says in verse 34, so that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned houses and lands sold them brought the money from the cells and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So suddenly there was no poverty within that church, 
Nobody going without food because they were taking care of one another. Now, there are a couple of misconceptions about this passage that I want to address. I've heard people say, and I've read people who have used this as a basis for Christian communalism or Christian communism. I actually heard a sermon once called Christian Communism on this text. And the interpretation that lends itself to that is that the people, they no longer felt that anything was their own. It belonged to everybody else, and they were basically living as in a commune. And in American history, from time to time, you'll read about these strange communes that developed in which nobody owned anything, but they all shared everything in common, and they go back to this passage. But I don't believe that's what this is teaching. I don't think it's saying that everything I belong is owned by everybody else. It belongs to all of us commonly. It means that God owns everything we have. This is not discussing a political economic theory. You know, in our world today, in the politics, we've all just been through it. There is the free market system, and there is socialism, and there is communism. And the further you go on that continuum, the more the government has control over private property, over money, and over everything. And the more you go in this direction, the more rights we have, the more property that we have, or the more rights we have over our property. And so there are people who say, well, this is suggesting that we should be more socialist or more communist. But the Bible advocates for private property. It sanctifies the appropriateness of private property. In the Old Testament, the great slogan that Moses had, and you read it over and over again, what they wanted for the people of Israel is that they would go into the promised land and everyone would be able to sit under their own fig tree and grapevine. Do you remember that phrase? That was what they wanted, for everybody to have a little place of their own with security and with some prosperity, that everybody would sit under their own fig tree and grapevine. And George Washington quoted that endlessly as he led the American Revolution and as first president. It was a very famous phrase in early American history because he wanted a land here of liberty where everybody, as he put it, could sit under their own fig tree and grapevine. And one of the Ten Commandments says, thou shalt not steal. And that commandment is predicated by the assumption of private property. It means I have something here, maybe it's a bicycle, and you shouldn't come and steal it. You know, Karl Marx said in his Communist Manifesto that the uh, goal of communism was the abolition of private property. But that is not what is being taught in this particular passage. They were saying God owns everything, and from time to time, people of their own free will, they could sell a piece of land, they could sell a house, they could sell a possession, they could give it to the apostles, and they could use it for the Lord's work. This is not a political economic system. This is generosity. Now, the second misconception is this is not teaching that we should cash everything out and give everything that we have to other people. It says from time to time, some of the people did this. But the one thing here that is absolutely true, which I'd never seen before in my life, is what it says in verse 33. Now, I have been preaching stewardship sermons for over 40 years in this church. 
Every year I would preach a stewardship sermon or a sermon about tithing, maybe a couple of them, and I thought I had used every passage on this subject there was in the Bible. I'd never seen this one. Look at verse 33. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. God's grace was working so powerfully within them that that's why they were generous. People in whose hearts God's grace is working powerfully, they can't help but have unstoppable generosity in their lives. Why is it that we can be generous? Why do we want to be generous? Why do we want to take some of our things and give it away for the Lord's work? It is because God's grace is working powerfully within us. I'd never seen that phrase before. God's grace is Christ's riches that He pours into our lives. It's all of the good things we have, every good and perfect gift that comes down from above. It is our internal blessings. It's our external blessings. It's our eternal blessings. And when we see how all of this is working and we are thrilled and somehow in the depths of our heart, God's grace is working within us, then we just are automatically generous people. We say, Lord, it all belongs to you, and you've been so good to me. Now, I've just got to be generous. I can't help it. So, the first principle here is when God's grace works powerfully within us, we become generous. A man told me this week, he called me from another state. He said, I've been so worried about people being battered down by everything that's happened. And he said, the Lord just prompted me, and I went to the bank, and I got a roll of $50 bills. And I just carry them with me, and from time to time, I'll just give somebody a $50 bill. He said, the other night, my wife and I were at a restaurant, and we were sitting outside. It was a little bit cold. We were the only ones there, and the server came. And I asked her, I said, have you had many tables tonight? And she said, you're only my second couple. And he pulled out two $50 bills, and he said, well, I want you to know that you're doing a great job, and Jesus loves you, and maybe this will help a little bit. And he gave her the $100, and he said, her eyes filled with tears, and she said, this means so much. Why would he do that? Well, I know this man. The grace of God is working deeply within him. When the grace of God is working deeply within you, then you cannot help but be generous. But here's the second principle. When we listen to the devil, he corrupts even our generosity. When we listen to the devil, he corrupts even our generosity. So here was a man, Joseph, and he sold a piece of land, and he brought the money, and he gave it to the apostles, and people said, you have so blessed me. In fact, your name should be Barnabas, son of encouragement. And there was a couple there in the church, Ananias and Sapphira. They needed some maybe bolstering, some reinforcement, some, some significance, and, and some acclaim. And they said, well, we should do that as well. And they had a piece of property. And I'll just give it to you in hypothetical terms. It was a piece of property. Maybe they thought they'd get fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars $16,000 for it, but they sold it for $20,000. And then they thought to themselves, you know, we do have some home refurbishing we need to do, and we need to update our wardrobes, and we want to take that vacation up to Galilee. Let's just tell them that we got $15,000 for this, 
and it'll be a marvelous contribution to the church, and we'll use the other 5,000 for, for our own purposes. Now, the problem wasn't that they didn't give the total amount. The problem was that they lied about it. They got 20,000, but they came to Peter, Ananias came to Peter, and he said, we sold this piece of land, it uh, fetched $15,000, we are bringing it all to you. And Peter, God gave him special discernment, and he said, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? Wasn't that land yours? You didn't have to sell it. If you did sell it, you could have done whatever you wanted to with the money, but you have come and you have lied here to the Holy Spirit. Now, this was early in the Christian story. Miracles were happening, supernatural things were occurring, and principles were being established. And one of the principles is that as we deal with God's work and we deal with our finances, there has to be integrity. And he didn't have it. And he fell over dead. And three hours later, Sapphira came. Where had she been? I think she'd been shopping. And she came in, and Peter said, did you, get, did you sell this piece of land, and, and was the purchase price $15,000? And she said yes, even though she knew it was 20000 And he said, why would the devil prompt you, and why would you listen to him to lie like that? And she fell down dead, and they buried her. Now, every time I read this, my question to myself is, did they go to heaven? And I think probably they did. I mean, these were people who had been saved in this Pentecostal experience. If they had not genuinely been saved, then when they died, they went to hell. I tend to think that they were saved, they went to heaven, but the Lord looked at them and said, I cannot deal with a lack of integrity in my church. They have forfeited their ability to continue to serve me on this earth, and he just killed them and took them on to heaven. You know, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, because Paul was dealing there with a church that had a lot of problems, and there were a lot of people not living according to the gospel, even though they espoused the name of Jesus. And he said, that's the reason why some of you are sick and even some have died. The Lord has told us here how we should live. And when we just deliberately don't live that way, sometimes he says, well, I can't do anything. They're no good to me down there. I might as well bring them on to heaven, and our lives are cut short. That's what happened here to Ananias and Sapphira. And the lesson is that when we listen to the devil, even our generosity is corrupted. But here's the third lesson. When we meet together with both generosity and integrity, more people come to Christ. It says in verse 14, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. So the church continued to grow after the dishonesty had been dealt with and the people had generosity with integrity. It is very, very difficult to have a church in which the Holy Spirit is deeply working in people's lives and the grace of God is working deeply in their hearts and they are generous and they have integrity, it is very hard for that church not to reach people for Jesus because they are conduits of the wonderful redemptive grace 
of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are generous, and things are financed. I read about a man. Someone said to him, what did you do last week? He said, well, on Sunday I was teaching a life group in my church in Nashville. On Monday, I was in the United Kingdom. I was volunteering there at an orphanage. And on Tuesday, I was over in France where there is a church planting operation going on, and I was helping with that. And on Wednesday, I was down in Morocco. I was helping with a refugee camp. A lot of North Africans coming in there needing help. And on Thursday, I was up in Belgium, one of the most difficult countries in the world to reach, and I was passing out Gideon Bibles. And on Friday, I was in Central Asia. I was teaching there in a Bible institute. And on Saturday, I was in the South Pacific on the island of Fiji, and I was leading a child evangelism good news club. And then on Sunday, I was back in my church in Nashville. I was teaching a life group. And the person said, how in the world were you able to travel around the world like that in one week? He says, I do that every week. Every time I put a check in the offering plate, I am ministering in all those places. That's the way it works. It's amazing to me that the Lord can take our dollars and our cents and our possessions and whatever we have, and He can transform that into souls, men and women and boys and girls who will live forever in the kingdom. We'll know them one day because we've been able to transmute and transform our, earth, our earthly wealth into heavenly gain. You know, not all of us can be great evangelists like a Billy Graham, but when you fund God's ministries around the world, you'll be winning people that you'll not even know about until eternity. That's why Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth, uh, moths and rust do not corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, he said, there will your heart be also. We give thee but thine own, whate'er that gift may be, all that we have is thine alone, a gift, O Lord, from thee. So this is the lesson from the book of Acts. When the grace of God is working deeply in your heart, you'll be generous. When you listen to the devil, he can corrupt even your generosity. But when we are generous and we have integrity, the Lord will add more and more people to His church. Those are the principles upon which the early church was established, and they work perfectly well for us today. Will you bow your heads with me in prayer? Oh, Lord, thank You that You are the possessor of everything, I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise. Lord, all around us, the beauty of your creation, you have made it for us. And thank you, Lord, for becoming poor through Jesus Christ, 
that we might be wealthy both in our abundant life and our eternal life. And Father, we pray that you would work your grace deeply in our lives. Father, help me to be more generous. May your grace work more deeply in each one of us. And may you use us, even in these terms, to touch this world with the gospel in ways beyond what we can ask or imagine. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.